Hi, this is Gabe Moser, and you're listening to Friars on the Farm podcast. Welcome to Friars on the Farm podcast. My name is Donovan, and to my left is Roy. Hello, everybody. And, and sitting across the table from us, Stat Girl Angela. They just. <laughs> Uh, we're, you know, it's, it's Sunday. It's, uh, it's a tough day. Tough day if you're a Chiefs fan, I guess. Ah, I yeah. Know. Tough day for Chiefs fans and Saints fans. So okay. sorry to Angela's mom, who's a huge Chiefs, a uh, huge Saints fan. What are the, I've never yeah, heard that's, what you guys are talking about. It's football. About. It's kind of like rugby. Yeah. Only, yeah. I know. I can't believe we're talking about football. Later. But we're yeah. here to talk about baseball. Absolutely. So, so. And our MVP, we have, you know, Fernando Tatis won the MVP of the round robin. He did. Yes. Congratulations to him. Fantastic. And, and he also, and they're still playing. So it's uh, two, two to one, Estrellas. Yes. Torres just won, I think, yesterday. Uh-huh. So, so it's two to one in the best of four or five. But best, best of, of five. Best of five. Did you get a chance to read Dennis Lynn's article? Oh, my God. It, I, it sent chills, and then I told complete strangers about it. It I was really so did. good. Talking about the background of where Fernando Tatis grew up, which is that town where the Estrellas Orientales are from, and how that town is a hotbed for shortstops, and how dozens of major leaguers have come from that specific town. Robinson Cano, I think Sammy Sosa. Yeah, it's a long list. Um, And so, but then at the same time, that team hasn't won this championship for over 20 years. And so. Was it 20? I thought it said 68. I thought they've won it since. Before the Padres are around. Maybe that was it. I don't know. But this championship run for this team is a big deal. And so yeah. it was enough of a big deal that Fernando Tatis Sr. talked to A.J. Proler and asked him, please let me keep playing my son. This is a big deal for everybody, all of our, you know, everybody, my family, yeah. all of our people. Um, and he promised that he would you know, handle him with kid gloves. If there's any sign of fatigue or injury or whatever, he'd shut him down right away. Yeah. And Tatis has just been a stud for that team. Yeah, and I think the quote was, uh, you know, I love my son, so I'm not going to let, you know, so that anything happens, I'm taking him off the team. And although this is a huge thing, the native son, the native father, his career is almost more, almost it would be more important to like, okay, let him play injured with a, with a foot injury or a hand injury or anything like that. Uh, but I just, I love the article. I loved the, the talk up to the home run, that, the, the walk-off home run. Mm-hmm. His dad asked him to bunt. <laughs> he asked him to bunt. I didn't even know that. He tried to lay down a bunt. On I'm sorry. Strike if that one, cracks. strike two. Didn't get the bunt down, and then screw it. I'm just going to end this thing with a bomb. Ugh. <laughs> so th- th- that gives a lot more backstory to that crazy bat flip. The whole jump is like you can see him first pitch fouled off, or m- probably even missed it altogether. Was down 0-2. And then Dennis, what Dennis wrote leading up to that, and I can't remember what it was, but the baseball met a demise, like some kind of demise. Oh, and, he obliterated uh, that thing. Oh, my God. It was just a fantastic article. I, I Everyone loved it on Twitter. Uh, it, like I said, it gave me chills, and I took people from work. Uh, I was training my uh, – I shouldn't be saying this on the air, but <laughs> I, I, I showed them our staff members. I'm like, this is what happened, and this is what happened. This is like our God. Is it? He's coming. Well, we're um, allowed to talk about stuff at work, right? right. Yeah. I mean, you can't work 100% of the time. There's got to be a little, yeah. you know, 5% of the time in there where you talk about 
other stuff that's going on. All the work was done. Yeah. We had some downtime in between rushes. And so um, she came in the office and I was like, check this out. And, you know, as I explained this and as I read the article, I realized I seriously got chills. And it just got me pumped. It just got me pumped. But once again, and we talked about this last time, it raises that expectation that if he doesn't hit 290, you know, with a 420 on base and just if, if he... He has this expectation that I need well, to really temper. Even in even in the playoffs right now, and in yesterday's game, he went 0 for 4. Right. I think he got a stolen base, a walk and a stolen base or something like that. But still, he's going to have those games where he's going to struggle. He's going to have a whole week where he struggles. Yeah. Uh, he's going to look like a baseball. rookie at times. Right. It's a baseball. He's 20 years old. So, yeah, he's going to come up sometime this season, but we need to temper our expectations. Yeah. And that's one of the things I want to ask our guest, Lance Brozdowski, about. Um, as we get him on the on the show in a little bit here, yeah, he is. He'll be our first, second, uh, our repeat, our first, sorry, English, um, our first repeat guest. Yeah, and uh, if you guys haven't heard of Prospects Live, or if you're late to the to the party, check him out. Lance Brozdowski, uh, Jason at the game, Jason Panini, JP, Jason Panini, um, Matt Thompson, I think, is on there. Eric Crazy, Crazy. And Ralph Lifshitz. Yeah, and Ralph Lifshitz and Ralph. Uh, just a fantastic site. These guys, I, I, am, I swear, the next few years, and I think they're just going to start getting picked off. Oh, I'm sure. They're, you know, yeah. with Jason already having the associate scout with the Brewers, mm-hmm. um, the, the the level of evaluation and eyes on players at games, butts in the seats, you know, scouting pitches, uh, scouting players is is phenomenal so if you haven't done it yet please go to prospects live and look at their padres top 30 um website their top 30 article and it's like twelve thousand words and lance went into (laughs) such great detail on every single player on that top 30 list and then talked about some more people that he left off the list but he talks about their mechanics and their um their makeup and a lot of things that I feel like some of these other national publications, you get kind of the the skim the surface. They right. just kind of skim right. the surface of what each player does. But he goes into depth on why this player is going to be good, what potential pitfalls he might see. Um, I think he's a little bit more optimistic than some other sources. Uh, but and we love that because we love our prospects. Right. Uh, he sugarcoats something that we already sugarcoat. Yeah. And they have their own podcast and they spent an hour and a half talking about Padres prospects. And it's a really well spent hour and a half. Yeah. Uh, to go back to the article that Dennis Lynn wrote, I remember one of the, uh, the one of the quotes from his dad was he that Fernando will struggle with off speed and breaking balls, but he'll figure it out. Uh-huh. And that's that. That's the, uh, you know, from AAA to Major League Baseball, such a huge jump. And not everyone's going to have an incredible year like your Juan Soto, like your Acuna Jr. Uh, Those are so rare. And we're going to see what next year falls, you know, how next year turns out for those guys. A guy like Carlos Correa, what, he hit 213? You know, Bryce Harper, I think, hit in the 213 range as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So that first year can be an anomaly, but it shows what they can do. But the league adjusts. Well, and one thing that gives me some hope about with the winter league, these guys, they're junk ball pitchers in yeah. this league. This yeah. isn't a league where guys are up there pumping high nineties heat. Like you see, like in the Arizona summer league, these they're throwing all kinds of breaking stuff to all quadrants of the, of the, the zone. And so one of his big hits recently was a single 
and it you know, just a, a single push it the other way, but it was a breaking ball down in a way. He went down and got it, yeah. did the right thing with the pitch. Stayed back, didn't try to pull it, just just you know knocked it into center field. Yep, and it was an RBI single. <sighs> so let's okay, let's come down from that. I before we move forward, uh, one second, I, I want to let you guys know that we're on Spotify. And then today, I just applied for us to be on Google Play. So we are now on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and uh, we're waiting for the for the call back or the email back or the confirmation back from Google Play. So we're all over the map. We had a, a question from the Sack Girl. Yeah. yeah. Um, there aren't really any Cliff's notes. I, mean, I took my notes. 12,000 is a lot of words. It, it is a lot of words. Yeah. yeah. But it's, it, it's a good read. And so if all you want to read is the top, like top 10 part of it, yeah. that is time very well spent. Yeah. I, I love to go deep into it. So I, I'll read about, I'll read about all the players. And he does. But let's get on to a little more action that we saw this last couple of weeks. Uh, MLB Pipeline's top 10 left-handed pitchers came out. Yeah. And uh, uh, for, that's from Mike Rosenbaum from MILB. And the Padres had four guys on there. Number four, uh, number sorry, number two was Mackenzie Gore. Number six, Adrian Morahone. Number eight, Logan yeah. Allen. And number 10 was Ryan Weathers, which I thought was a really aggressive, uh, was aggressive ranking. Well, I, I think all of those guys are currently in the MLB top 100. So maybe that's part of where this is all coming okay. from. Um, but Logan Allen is close to major league ready. Oh yeah. And he, we should see him up early this year. The other three guys are all a good ways away. Um, and I, I like that Adrian Morihone gets the press in this because Mackenzie Gore tends to take all the attention. Right. Right. But people, it, every time I read these lists and you see Morihone's name come up, they talk about how legit he is yeah. and that he, he has the skills, the makeup. He's got the variety of pitches, the command that he should be a top shelf left-handed starting pitcher. It's and, just we don't think about him because we got other guys. Right. Well, and, and he was, you know, he only logged, I think maybe eighty innings this this year due to injury. Uh-huh. But it, it's the commanding of the three pitches. It's the three plus pitches that they have. Mm-hmm. That even with a small sample size that you got from Mackenzie Gore, when he was on, like I think Lance talks about on their podcast on the the. Um, the Padres prospect list. He talks about that 4th of July start. We had 12 strikeouts and just, I mean, just cruised through uh, through the batting order when he was on. Mm-hmm. You know, this year with the blister issues that limited some control. So that ERA is high. Um, there's still like a 12, what did I, that was just listening to, sorry, I was just listening to it on the way over here. A 12 to 1 strikeout ratio. <laughs> strikeout to walk ratio, yeah. yeah. So, and then Ryan Weathers at the back end of that list. Uh, I think he did enough making his way up to single A to Fort Wayne and looking like he belonged. Yeah, straight out of high school. Right out of high school. Right out of high school. That I, I think it it helped justify the high draft pick because he was picked a lot higher than people thought. They thought he was going to be yeah. like middle back of the first round and to go, what was it, sixth overall? Yeah. But it, he's got some mechanics to clean up. He's got some things that obviously they're going to work on. But for a high schooler to go out there and hold his own is remarkable. Yeah. So that, I guess that justifies that. But they did have some of the top tools. And um, the best curveball went to Gore Morahone with a 60 grade. Uh, Gore's curveball is a plus offering, though it wasn't as sharp last year in the Midwest League as he dealt with the blister issue. Morahone's deuce, on the other hand, took a step forward last year. Best changeup was given to Logan Allen, held righties to a 209, 292, 322 line in 2018. To note, Padres didn't have a right-handed pitcher make the top 10 list in their 
top 10 in the in the MLB pipelines top right, top 10 right hander right now I, I thought Paddock got listed did not was it was it just uh Patino being listed as uh, others to watch I, if it was him and it was might have been Paddock as well okay but originally an eighth round pick making him the lowest draft pick on our list by the Red Sox in 2015 before joining the Padres in the Craig Kimball trade Allen faced some injury concerns early in his career but put it all behind him with a breakout 2018 campaign. He projects as a high-probability back-end starter, perhaps more with better control. And I was listening to the, the Baseball America podcast today, and Allen's not 98, 97. He's hitting 91, occasionally tops 93. So it's it's the command of the other Ospie pitches that really stands out with his ability and command that stands out with his ability to A, B rank so well and to you know be a back-of-a-rotation starter. Without the 95 mile an hour fastball, mm-hmm. you know everyone's keying so much more to that to the to the high heater that if you don't have it, you better have command of two other pitches. I mean, you had better have command of two other pitches to be a, a decent major league starter anyway. But he has the command of those pitches. The mid 90s, the low low 90s fastball puts him on the list. You know, and that's to talk about Chris Paddock was the curveball isn't what they think it's going to be. It. it Never has been. He knows he needs to work on it. He knows he's, and I'm sure he's working on it in the offseason, but until he shows that more than four times a start, you know, he's going to rely solely on that high heater and then the and the changeup, which will be good once, maybe twice through the batting order. But once you get deeper into the game, you know, you're really looking at they're going to be sitting on the fastball, they're going to be sitting on the changeup. So for him to be, you know, his high ceiling is a three to two, um, his low floor, you know, his high floor, or his low floor would be, this is Paddock again, you know, a four, another five starter. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny, when you listen to the Prospect Live podcast, they always have like, it's almost like a drinking game with those guys. Mm-hmm. Mid-rotation, every time you say mid-rotation, someone drinks. Like, okay, yeah. <laughs> this is what he needs to be, you know, a one or a two. Uh, more than likely going to be a mid-rotation. All right, everybody drink. Well, we've seen some examples in recent history of Padres players that, have been successful with two pitches. Tyson Ross lives with a slider and a fastball. Joey Lucchese has what he calls a churve, which is basically a change-up that has exceptional break. And he doesn't seem to have a whole lot of command on it. Um, And then uh, Denelson Lamette was the other guy that I was thinking of. So it's possible for a guy to be successful, but with all those guys, you did see that the third time through the order, there was a penalty. Right. Um, And people are concerned about what their long-term growth is. I saw Tyson Ross just started adding a cutter this year, once he went to St. Louis, and all of a sudden he became more more effective. Right. So if Paddock can make this curveball a legitimate pitch, that it isn't just something he shows a handful of times in the start, right. then, yeah, that'll give him a lot of legitimacy. And the same thing applies for a lot of guys that are in the, the, the Padres system. Yeah, well, to, to think of a major leaguer right now that has pretty much two pitches, Cal Hendricks for the Dodgers. Who's a number three on a competitive, you know, on a playoff mm-hmm. team. But that's still a really useful guy. He, absolutely. But if he doesn't have it, and it happens every on occasion that you know he gets lit up, yeah, and that's that's the problem with the two pitches. Is uh-huh. like, sure, the fastball command. What if the fastball command's there, but the slider's not there? Or what if the slider's there, and then the fastball's not there? You don't have that third gear, that mm-hmm. third pitch to go to, and you're gonna run into trouble. Yeah, I mean, major league hitters are too smart for that, right? And but regardless, the system is so, God, it's just incredibly deep. Okay, so that was left-handed pitchers. Um, they also released their list of catchers. Yep. And Francisco Mejia made that list. Yep. 
And then uh, just today, they released their second baseman. They list first baseman. We don't have a first baseman on there. That's what Hosmer's getting paid all the money for, right? Right. Ooh. Ooh. Um, but Luis Urias is listed as the number one short, uh, number one second base prospect overall, and Estuary Ruiz made it at number seven. That's huge. Yeah. That's huge because right, number two is Kristen... Uh, Keston Hira. K- Keston Hira. Guy's a beast. And then Nick Madrigal, Ison Diaz, Jemai Jones, Garrett Hampton. So there's some good players on here. Rios, obviously, he's major league ready. Yeah. He should be our starter if he's healthy on opening day. He will be. Um, Ruiz, he was in Fort Wayne this year. So he's a long way, and he's got he, – people have some serious concern about his ability to play defense. Um, and that's really it. Where is he going to play? Right. Because people look at him at short – at second base, and maybe that, – that's one thing I'm curious to ask Lance about because he's – in the Midwest League region, so he's watched these guys play. So, what is it about him that makes people have concerns about his long-term viability? Is it his footwork? Is it his his hands? Is it right. his throwing accuracy? Um, yeah, what is it that just gives people pause? Right, right, right. Because the bat's there. Um, no, no power, but the bat's there, and I think in a lot of stolen bases. But he well, says yeah, this. he's young, you know. Everyone can steal in the Midwest League. Yeah. Like, it's the separator when you get up to high A and your double A if you can steal bags. Yeah. So and if he's stealing 40 bases, maybe by the time he makes it up major league, it's 15 or 20. Maybe. So, and it's he's not a burner. So that's not a skill that's going to follow him up. It's In the Midwest League, they they don't know how to hold runners as well. They don't have all those, you know, more uh, sophisticated base running skills. Yeah. And when the catches aren't all cannons either you know they're still trying to develop as well the catch, mm-hmm. the catching is subpar to par you know in the midwest mm-hmm. league or even in a straight a ball probably even the mechanics around second base how to apply a tag properly right but one of those things with you know with estuary ruiz it's it becomes trade bait you know someone like anyone that anyone that we have like gabriel arias um estuary ruiz any of these players that are coming up that are still in the top 50 of mlb's pipeline with guys holding their spots in the major league roster, they become trade bait. Mm-hmm. Those are the pieces that we use to get the veteran pitcher that we need. Those are the pieces that we use that we get that third baseman with. Um, I think it's going to take another year for them to really show some value when S3 comes up to Lake Elsinore and he plays uh, second base. And if he does well there, you know, then it really becomes a piece of tra- a trade bait uh, come the to come the trade deadline, depending on if we're not probably going to be sellers. Well, we may be sellers at the trade deadline this year, regardless, uh, with maybe an outfielder. If this nothing happens between now and the uh, the beginning of the season, mm-hmm. um, I see us cutting a little bit of fat on that 25-man roster. Maybe even if something is uh, doable and Preller pulls the trigger, we might lose a, a couple of prospects here or there uh, in, during the trade, in the trade deadline, setting up for next happen. year. It's bound to happen. Yeah, so that's what we got. Uh, also, Baseball America published their top 10 list, and no, no, there's just no surprises here. And we're going to go more about this in depth with Lance on the Prospects Live. But, you know, Tatis at one, Gortz at two, uh, Urias at three, Francisco Mejia, and uh, Roy here took a little little blurb of each uh, each player. You know, Tatis has the talent to be a perennial all-star shortstop and the personality to be the face of the Padres franchise. He'll begin 2019 in AAA El Paso and has a chance to make his major league debut at age 20. You know, Mackenzie Gore, Gore's recurring blisters are troubling and prevented him from pitching his best. He'll try to show his past. He's passed them in 2019. If healthy, he's at top of the rotation potential. Uh, Luis Urias, Urias, pure stroke and elite eye give him a chance to contend for batting titles at his peak. You know, and Mejia, Mejia with a start, 
with a start in their timeshare with Austin Hedges behind the plate, whether he'll eventually supplant Hedges will depend on how much plate discipline and defensive focus improve. Yeah, those are major question marks with him. Huge. So then number five was Adrian Morihon. Morihon draws comparisons to Carlos Rodon as a big-bodied lefty with potent stuff. Like Rodon, Morihon has struggled to stay healthy. He'll try to reach 70 innings for the first time in 2019. I, right, I, I, real quick, I think I said 80 earlier. So Yeah, but it's, I, I'm surprised... I'm surprised that he gets the rankings as high as he does in spite of the lack of performance. You know, usually the guys that are at the tops of the list are the ones that have a proven track record. Yeah. If you listen to the BA podcast with Carlos Carrazzo and, and Kyle Glazer, he talks about that. It's And he mentions it. He's like, yeah, he was injured. But the command of those pitches at such a young age makes the difference. It's projectable. It's something to dream on um, if he can stay healthy. If he can't stay healthy... You know, he's probably going to end up in the bullpen anyway. Like his his floor would be a bullpen piece, and that's pretty damn good with the, with, his, with the quality of pitches that he has. It's very good, you know, or like a long reliever or whatever. So then, at number seven was Luis Patino, and he said uh, Patino's arm and athleticism excite, but there's a long way to go. He was shut down after eighty three point one innings and needs to prove his durability, and he still has to find a pitch for lefties. So sh- shut down. He wasn't shut down due to injury. He was just shut down due to the schedule that they wanted to keep him on yeah. as a progression. Uh, number eight was Logan Allen. Allen's four pitch mix and durability have him set to log innings <clears throat> at the back of a rotation at the very least. His major league debut should come in two thousand nineteen. Uh, number nine is Josh Naylor. Naylor spent the offseason doing intense beach workouts in California like Kyle Schwarber. Oh, like Kyle Schwarber, Naylor will have to slim down to make left field work. I'm really curious to see Josh Naylor in person this spring. Yeah. As I, we saw him last summer, and he looks, last spring, he looked slimmer than he did the year before. And I'm hoping that with all this, you know, all the outfield work they put in last year, and then an offseason of you know, trying to improve yourself, yeah. that he should look more like an athlete this this spring you know and he's always going to be that wide body he's always going to have a little chunk on him he's yeah but he's incre- even for the weight he's incredibly athletic and mm-hmm. he's pretty damn quick he is you know and, and so in the outfield you know he's not going to be a burner but you know if he does trim down and gain a little bit of speed and a little more mobility get better reads he can be you know if he's an average outfielder that bat will carry him into the major leagues. I don't know if, if you could ever ask for average defense yeah. out of him, but I'm thinking like Carlos Quentin before the knees went bad. Okay, okay. That he was the left field first base for the White Sox before he came to the Padres, right. and the bat was just consistent every year. So I'd like to think that that's some kind of a parallel. People keep pointing to Prince Fielder, and apparently he's got raw power off the chart, but yeah. it just doesn't show up in the games. But there again, he's, what, 21, 22? Yeah, he's still really young for a double-A. Yeah. And he'll be in triple-A this next year. Uh, so no, number 10, to round it out, was Cal Quantrill. And he says, Quantrill still flashes mid-rotation potential with three quality pitches. Um, I His challenge has been closing out batters. Yeah. And you've pointed that out multiple yeah, times. Yeah, you, you watch the game. You see him get to two strikes, and he just can't quite seal the deal. And so I've heard multiple people talk about his um, – his sequencing. And if there's something about the, the, the way that he's approaching hitters that he, he may be able to unlock something, maybe working with a different catcher, working with a different pitching coach. Right. So I'll be curious to see how he evolves, assuming he, he's probably going to start in Lake Elsinore this era uh, in uh, El, Paso El Paso this yeah. year. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you saw the difference from 
where he went with guys that were very familiar with him in double A. When he went up to triple A, he did really well. And, I, you know, I don't know if you can, you know, I don't know if it was just new, no guys seeing another, you know, new pitcher or, you know, he's, he has upper hand because he's the newer pitcher in the league. Mm-hmm. Um, but they did see a difference in, in strikeouts. They did see a difference in, uh, you know, lowering the hits and, and walks. And, you know, and once again, he commands three pitches. It's mm-hmm. the command of three pitches that evaluators really care about. And that's the difference. That's what keeps him on this list. That's what keeps him still, um, you know, mid-level, mid-level, mid-rotation kind of guy. I would say drink, but uh, I don't drink, and you're having soda pop. And we uh, will be—we're going to be right back with uh, Lance Brozdowski from Prospects Live. We're glad to be joined with Lance Brozdowski, our first repeat guest uh, from Prospects Live. Prospects Live came out with their top thirty Padres uh, best prospects, um, and it is a well-written twelve thousand word tome and then they matched it up with an hour and a half long podcast which goes by in like 15 minutes if you listen to it it's just it's so talk full so much information and the guys just really dig deep in not only just the tools of the players but the makeup and where they saw them and how they saw them and where they see him going in the future so with that we've got lance brozdowski here welcome lance hey how's it going guys thanks for having me so you seem so I read fan graphs and baseball yeah. America, baseball prospectus and these others. You seem a little bit more optimistic and less concerned about injury risks than some other evaluators. Are you just an optimist in general when it comes to prospects? Um, yeah, I'd like to think that, but I also just think a lot of the reliance in the industry on injury information is is relatively incomplete. And I, I tend to just shy away from that. I'd rather just take it at face value and what I know. I think that you can get information from scouts and, and maybe if you have inside sources to some extent, if you're a higher publication or something like that, you can get better information on, you know, what is wrong with Michelle Baez's back or how is this finger injury going to go for Mackenzie Gore when he jumped, jumps up to Lake Elsinore in 2019 and all these other things. But as the general analyst, like I, I tend to just push it aside because if I don't know, then I have a really hard time finding the sources that will be able to tell me in confidence and have and then make me confident in turning around that information and saying it's truthful. You know what I mean? So I tend to just push away from it. You know, I go off what I know. If, if it's a recurring injury that I'm very concerned with, then I'll drop a guy because of it. But I tend not to really push into that. So that's why I have guys like Gore graded out at 65, which not much of a drop um, in terms of future value. And then, you know, Bias is the one that I probably am most concerned with injury-wise. But I still think my, my rank is probably a little more aggressive than other places I've read. Um, which is fine with me. I'm fine with that. I want to, I I'd rather bet on a guy being healthy than a guy being injured. Um, I don't know. That's just my general philosophy going into the list. And I, I always feel like if you're standard with it, and you go through the whole list like that, then it's hard to criticize it. So, okay. That's where that's I come fair. at. So I'm a big fan of Eric Longenhagen with fan graphs. Um, I love Longenhagen. Yep. Who are some of the writers, scouts, et cetera, you follow? And do you have any connections with team scouts to get information like what you were just talking about? Yeah, so this is something I've actually worked on developing over the last year and actually last couple months. I'm, I consider myself more of a reporter than anything, and I, I want to be a baseball writer. Um, so building sources is something that I, I've started to realize the value of information is value, and that's something that I, I need to do a better job of, just connecting with scouts and games. This is something Emily Walden does a great job and something she's kind of mentored me on is just really being present at games and not just present for your own sake or for your analysis sake, but present to network and to connect with the scouts there because at the end of the day, they're seeing a lot more games than you. So it's even if I think I have a good opinion of a guy, maybe I saw like a hot streak or an uptick or 
when he started lifting the ball a little more, et cetera. So it's one of those things where, I mean, yeah, I love Longhain and McDaniel. I think they're the top in the industry. I, I actually like Keith Law a bit. I know there's some dissension around him, but I believe his ranks are, are pretty sound. He generally has very, very good opinions on a lot of things. We, and, we have um, a little bit of a personal beef with Keith yeah, Law. Yeah, we have. Uh-oh, okay, I didn't know this. Last year when Trevor Hoffman went into the Hall of Fame, he was very vocal about how relievers are usually failed starters and therefore they don't deserve a spot in the Hall of Fame except for the absolute most top crust elite, basically being Mariano Rivera and nobody yeah. else. And so a bunch of us on Twitter went and started kind of pushing back at Keith Law, and now I'm blocked by Keith Yeah, several people Law. on Padres' Twitter uh, have been blocked. Everyone, and it's... Yeah. <laughs> it happens. No, yeah, I, I mean, I, everybody's I got their own him. opinion. I respect him yeah. as an evaluator, and I've read him at ESPN.com for a long time. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean... He's great. J.J. Cooper, Baseball America, Carlos Collazo are probably my two guys I really like there. And otherwise, I mean, otherwise, it's wide open, you know. I guess people have personal preferences, but those are the ones that stand out to me. The ones that are read consistently are Fangraphs of Baseball America. Nice. So how do you go – so what goes into putting together the list? We're going to get to the list here in a minute. And, and sure. But what goes into putting the list? Uh, do you reach out to the team scouts? Do you – I mean, a lot of these guys, a lot of you people, a lot of you guys have seen firsthand. Like, you've seen a lot of these guys in the Midwest League. Um Jason Panini has seen some of these guys in Arizona. Mm-hmm. How does it come about? Yeah, so it's an interesting process. I mean, everyone has their own process for these lists. Um, on, on our site, Prospects Live specifically, um, JP is probably the one that does the most out outsourced research. And I think his lists are honestly some of the best just because of everything I know time-wise that goes into it for him. And the connections he had being a former Brewer scout in terms of just getting two people who have information that he doesn't and filling in his holes. I am more, I was really excited to do this Padres list because I saw so many of the guys and that this is the first list on prospect live that I wrote where I, I felt really confident in a lot of the ranks and the future projection, especially on the guys that I saw a lot. So that's where I was confident coming into the list. Some of the other lists I've come into, it's more just absorbing everything I can about the guys and watching tape on each guy and then digging into it that way. So it's a little bit more, like I bet the general analyst who doesn't see every single guy is able to do. But the Padres list was, was kind of my baby. It was one of the ones from the beginning that I knew I wanted. We kind of had didn't really have a bidding system at Prospects Live on it, but like we, we each were like, well, who gets the most games for certain teams? And then we started to parse everyone out. We knew Jason gets to a bunch of 40 games for the Braves and Blue Jays, so we were like, he has to take those. I was taking the Padres. Ralph had to take Red Sox. He's a big Red Sox guy. He sees a lot of Northeast ball, so he's going to get the Orioles ones and some others. So it splits out like that, and the Padres is one that I really wanted just because I – Solid the guy. So, I mean, my process is really, it starts with tiering. Honestly, it starts with writing down what I know about the guys, what I think about the guys and their future value, and then tiering them into future value tiers. And then from there, I start to rank off it. So, with the Padres in particular, the difference between this list and almost every other list is how much depth they have past, like, 16, really. Right. I, I'd say it's like a cutoff point. And then you start to just get into a wide open swath of guys. I think I had about 65-ish guys that I just I, I was writing up and then I went through, which is just, it's insane. Cause I did the Cardinals list and I got through about 30 and I was just like, I literally can't find another five guys. You know what I oh, mean? Wow. And there's been wow. a lot of lists like that where it's just the back half is just such a, such a not fun place to get to where we're shooting text back and forth to each other in our group chat, trying to figure out who has seen who that is on the list that maybe kind of liked them to give them a top 30 look. Whereas the Padres, it was just more like, I didn't need that because I had too many guys, you know? So I, right. I started going back to JP. I know he saw a lot of AFL guys. You know, um, and JP was really the main one that I think I connected with on probably about three or four guys just to kind of get his thoughts on. And otherwise, um, no one really saw Padres guys. It's a little bit more South, so, Midwest. So, and JP, has he moved out to Arizona? Is he living there now? 
I don't know what he's doing. Um, he, I believe he said he was going to move out there, but I don't know if he officially moved out there. I know he's out there right now, and he will be there for probably through March, I would say. But um, I, otherwise, I'm not, I'm not 100% sure. <laughs> well, we, well, we, had him, we had him on the pod. And, uh, yeah. And I think we talked about off. off he might have mentioned it during the, during the episode, and he said, like, hey, yeah, I think I'm going to move out to Arizona. And he hasn't kind of left. After the AFL, yeah. I think he went home for a little bit for the holidays and then came back. Yeah, I mean, I, I think he's trying to go out there full time, from my understanding. But I don't want to, I don't want to spoil the news if he hasn't announced there. I obviously uh-huh. don't know, so I wouldn't say anything. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Exactly I'm just here right now. Yeah, we're not exactly breaking news here. So for the the listeners that don't know, um, where so you got to see a lot of the Padres prospects because they came through the Midwest League in Fort yeah. Wayne, and the teams in that league. Where are you based? I'm based out of Chicago, so I'm just north of the city, downtown. I live right in the lake right now. Um, I don't know if that will be the case in another four months, but I'm currently in graduate school. So once that ends, I will could be anywhere. I'm really not attached geographically to a specific place. So I could be West Coast. I could go back to East Coast. I could go South. I really don't know. But for through probably the end of June, I'll be back out here. So I will catch kind of the first wave of a lot of Midwest League guys this coming season um, that I'm expecting will be out here that I'm really excited for. So more looks with Ryan Weathers. I'm assuming Xavier Edwards starts in four way. I'm assuming Tukapita yeah. Marcano starts here and then whoever else starts here. But also, I mean, the Midwest League is also just going to be stacked once again to start. Wanda Franco has a shot to come out here. There's a couple other guys have been eyeing as well. So um, Brian Rocchio, there's a, there's a lot. I'm pretty excited for the start of the season, as you can tell. <laughs> well, real quick, a little side note. Who in the hell is Dusty Colorado? Oh, my God. Jesus Go ahead. <laughs> nothing against him, but I might have been one of the only ones who got tired of the shtick pretty quickly. And everyone else on Prospect Live just loved it. But I have to admit, the Rotoware shirt, I don't know if you guys saw the Rotoware shirt that was made. No, um, no. It's really, really funny. And it's probably the, good, the, the fitting bow on the whole saga. It's not Ralph. It's not anyone. We know. I guess Ralph eventually got in touch with the guy and talked to him. But. I have no idea who it is. He okay, because I thought it was one. I thought it was. I don't know no, it was. No, it was one of the prospect live that's guys. That's a really bad rumor. Whoever made that up, it's not any of us. Uh, that's right. Okay, let's get well, let's get down to business. Let's start talking about the top thirty. Uh, you know, let's get a brief description on say the top fifteen or so. And we'll go a little deeper into the fifteen or ten to five. Well, I got a whole bunch of questions here. Okay, so yeah. first off, on the twenty to eighty scale, where would you grade Fernando Tatis Jr.'s bat flip skill? <laughs> I mean, bat flip skills in the eighties, absolutely. I mean. <laughs> It's amazing what he's doing out in the, the winter league and stuff. That that was a great viral gif that went. Um, yeah, he's fun, man. He's a really, really fun player. I'm, I'm beyond excited to see him, I think, at the major league level. I don't know if it's going to be this year or next year. I'm probably – with ETAs is another thing you'll notice. That's the thing I think I got ripped on the most for this list was just people not liking my ETAs when in reality – ETAs were throwing darts. Like if, if right. you don't have inside information on the team and when they're going to bring a guy up and how he's going to develop, like it doesn't matter. Like It doesn't matter if the guy's 2019 or 2020. Um and I guess I trend my ETAs more towards when the guy's fully up as opposed to, like, when he plays 10 games in a September call-up role. So, like, sure, a guy could be up in late 2020, but if I'm just going to put ETA 2021 in the case that doesn't happen and the team's out of it, there's no point in bringing the guy up. So um, that's kind of my, my ETA blurb there that I'm sure a lot of people are going to jump back to because I, I got a lot of crap for that on Twitter, but I, don't, I, don't, I honestly just don't care. <laughs> if, if that's what I'm being criticized on, please criticize <laughs> right. me. So, you did, know, I don't care. did you get a chance to see him in the Midwest League in 2017? Yeah, um, Tatis, you're saying? Yeah. Yeah, I saw him for two games against the Great Lake Loons. Um, that was at a point in the season when he was uh, not being pitched to at all, basically. I saw oh. the, one of the games I saw, he was just, it was a blowout. It was like a 12 to 4 game, I think. It was Adrian Marejon's start. It was the first time I saw Marejon. Um, and 
uh, Murray Helms' worst start of his career. He got lit up, which was pretty funny, but I uh, walked away with that a little bit confused. I was like, this year, I feel like it came out, came along a lot in terms of just understanding players and stuff, and that was still when I was like breaking in a little more of a fan and stuff, um, but still loving baseball, so writing about baseball. And then, and then with Tatis, it was just sitting in the box waiting for a pitch, and he didn't do anything that whole game. I think he walked like three, four times, and then he got up like late in the sixth or seventh inning, and they gave him like a three-one fastball, and he scorched it to right center, and it was just, <laughs> it was insane, man. He's, he's a really good player. His bat speed's unbelievable. His setup is great. I love his swing. Um, the barrel control is fantastic. He's got power to off fields. I think it projects out really well. Project out to stay at short. And I think that that's going to buy him a lot of time for the bat to catch up. I don't know if the bat's going to be impact immediately. I have him as like a 70 future value player, I believe. I wrote in the list, and I'll, I'll stick with that. Um, behind guys like Eloy and Vlad Jr., but I, I think the case is there to be made. He's above him. And I think that's realistic because of the fact that he's playing defense and he's a good base runner. I think that's something that we talked a little bit about on one of the Prospect Live podcasts. Oh, and just, I actually, to it. Padres, yeah, just in terms of you know, can you have the argument for Tatis above him? It's like, absolutely. I, I'm not going to make the argument, but it's there. It's, it's, it's a completely valid argument. It's one that Keith Law makes, I believe. It's simply that, you know, if you're contributing in other facets of the, facets of the game, you're going to have a much higher ceiling on your war. And this is why we're seeing guys like Trout and guys like Mookie Betts, et cetera, posting wars above eight and seven. If you look at J.D. Martinez, how historically fantastic he was on offense, he was still worse than like seven players in, in baseball in terms of war, just pure <laughs> F war, fan of war. It's like that is that is shows you the value of offense, excuse me, of defense and base running. And Tatis is going to produce on both of those, where Eloy and Vlad Jr. are not. So if you want to go off that, I think that Tatis has an equal to greater chance of posting peak war seasons that are higher. It's just that out of the gate, he might be a little slower in, do, in trying to reach that war. He could be a three war player out of the gate. It could be two, could be two and a half. Whereas I think the baseline for, for Vlad and Eloy is, is four plus, essentially, because yeah. the bats are so out of the gate. Yeah. So out of the gate, you, you're, you're talking about. Um... We're so excited, and the whole fan base is excited for this guy to come yeah. up. But I've, I try to preach caution a little bit. Um, in your opinion, what are some of the things that Padres fans need to keep in mind to temper our expectations for Tatis as he comes up? I mean, the fact that he's young, the fact that there's still swing and miss there are the two biggest things. Um, and, you know, he's shown that at higher levels as well. If you read any projections or kind of understand how that works, it's like if you're basing it off minor league stats, you know, he, he's going to K a lot. He's going to K probably above 25% at the gate, and you're going to see that being pretty high. He might walk a good amount, but it's not going to be an average probably above 280 off the gate. It's not going to be – it's going to be probably in the 260s, you know, and that's fine. If he's producing well and he's still getting on base and it's it's average OBP with plus defense, plus base running, and he's got some pop, you know, there's there's a ton of value there. It could net out to a three, four player easily, and that's completely fine, especially at the age he is. Like, I just don't see any problem with that at all, you know. Or he could come out and be a Francisco Lindor type. Where, you know, maybe that's not the best comp, but Lindor kind of came up with not really too much of a power projection. It came into a lot of power, but there's also that chance. There's that small chance that a guy comes up and, and far, far outproduces projection immediately and becomes an elite player like a Juan Soto, like a Lindor, like a Bregman. You know, that's a possibility as well. It's just, um, I probably just trend a little more cautiously and say he's going to be like a, like a 29% strikeout, 8 to 9% walkout at the gate. And, you know, the average might not be the best, but there's still going to be a lot of value there. So, Luis Tatis, or I'm sorry, Luis Rias made his debut last year. Mm -hmm. um, can you give us your description of what you think his floor and his ceiling are, and what do you think the idea of him starting the season at shortstop? Yeah, they, the shortstop fact was interesting. The first time I actually heard that was down at the winter meetings. I was down at the winter meetings doing some coverage, and I sat in on the Andy Green press conference, the manager press conference, and he mentioned that. He mentioned the fact that um, there was a plan for, for Uyas to play shortstop before he got injured. Yeah. And 
because I heard that, then the weeks afterwards when I heard that there's a plan for Urias to start at shortstop, I, I really wasn't surprised at all because if there was a plan last year, then, you know, there you go. <laughs> it's not really that surprising. Yeah, they had that in, in place that at, it, and it was like going to be the next game after he got hurt that he was going to get the yeah. start at shortstop. And then I think they were going to move Javi Guerra over to second base for that game. And they said that in the in the newspaper that they were going to do that for the next handful of games just to give him a look. Um, but anyway, so go ahead about his what do you think his floor and his ceiling might be? Yeah, I mean the floor should be relatively high because he's not really that high of a strikeout guy. I mean he's going to sit around probably like like sixteen twenty percent should be right in that window unless there's like a superior advancement in terms of his back control, which don't know if I necessarily see this coming season. But I mean again, he's, he's extremely extremely young, um, and if he starts off being like a one and a half to two R guy out the gate, like. That's fantastic, you know, and if you look at the trend up, if you're, that's the other thing I think a lot of people overlook is like the age and just general aging curves. There's a simple understanding of how aging curves work and how historically like accurate and a lot of projections are based off that. You know, if you have a guy who's 25 and put up a really good season, most projections that people agree with like Zips and Steamer and all these other ones, they're going to, they're going to pick a guy up. They're going to push a guy above what he did the prior year. If he's 25 going to 26, if he's 26 going to 27. So if you're 21 going to 22, you know, that's, that's pretty good. There's a lot more kind of random variation in those lower ages cause, just because we don't have samples of guys who are major league ready at that age and, and playing every day and getting 600 at-bats, you know. But it just could be one of those guys. I don't really see much stopping him. Um, the floor is probably going to be high average, probably like 270-ish. Um, decent OBP, above average, I would say. Um, and I think the ceiling could be around like 290. I think it's more of a, of a high floor or low ceiling. Um, I wouldn't say that the ceiling is like immense power, but I, I think that there is more power you can tap into, particularly because of his leg kick and because of how much power he's able to coil off his back back hip, essentially. And some of the balls we saw him hit this year, I, I really like that specific kind of power. I think the two home runs he had, one was deep pull in Great American, and then he went the other way in Petco. And yeah. those two alone are, are flashes of, of average power, average game power, at least for me, where I think a lot of other people have probably below average. So at the end of the day, if I'm squinting and seeing average power, then I'm looking at 16 to 18 home runs, and I'm, I'm completely fine with saying that. So I think that that's probably maybe where he ends up ceiling-wise. I'd love to see him get there, and I think that there's a lot of structure in his swing that will push him there if he gains some weight, if he plays well. I know there's been some weird talk about his back control and barrel control not being the greatest, and there's probably, possibly some aggression. Kids 21, you know? I, I, I don't really see that dramatic of a shift after – you know, in August of this year, we we come up and we're really excited about him and posting 60-ish hit tools on him. And then all of a sudden we're back down. I, I just, I don't know. I, I, just, I guess I'm not quick to change, that quick to change an opinion. If I have an opinion, I'm going to stick with that opinion because of what I saw. I'm going to trust myself. I don't like the assumption of someone else's opinion riding with that. And then immediately uh, when you hear another, yeah. like jump into it. It's the biggest thing. Just stick to something. It's really what I like. I really think it's the leg kick that he has that, that people are concerned with, and particularly at the major level, a young hitter in the major league level trying to control that high leg kick. And it does get high at times. I think the yeah, major league but, pitchers are gonna really going to maybe take a take a look at that. I, I think so, but at the same time, like he's he's still posting above average in a, in a lot of areas peripherally with his bat, with that leg kick. So I, I don't really see too big of an issue. I think he had that in the AFL when he played there, and I think it was 2017. Like, I just, I don't know. I think that's maybe an, an over-exaggeration and just how much impact that has if he has the current barrel control he does. It, it seemed like his approach changed throughout the season. His mechanics changed. His approach changed uh, through the AAA season. So maybe yeah. it's something that's still It could evolving. be more of a consistency thing. Yeah, you know, that's completely fine. But I don't think there's anything particularly wrong with the leg kick to, to bring me to a place of concern. Okay. So next on your list was Mackenzie Gore. Um, yeah. When a lot of players, I've, I've 
I've heard of several players experiencing blister issues when they start their pro careers. Uh, mm -hmm. Do you have any thoughts about that? And why should we not be worried about that going forward with him? Yeah, well, I mean, it's not a, it's not an elbow injury. It's not a shoulder injury. Yes. <laughs> really what it is. And I mean, honestly, nowadays, if it's an elbow injury, it clears up in a year and you're fine. Like, is, are people really dramatically concerned about a guy like Michael Kopech who goes down? Like, I'm not, I'm not really dropping his future value. I know a lot of people drop guys like a half grade. You know, if he's a 60 pitcher, he gets Tommy John, drop him to a 55. If he recovers well, you bring him back up to a 60. I'm fine with that. But this is a finger injury. And I get it was on, I believe, a reopening of a blister on the same finger and then um, a fingernail issue at the end of the year. Yeah. I, I never got confirmation on what finger that was, if it was the same finger as a blister or not. It was, I the, never same, that it out. was the same finger. Same finger. So it's his left, left middle finger, I believe. His middle finger. One. Yeah. So yeah. it's got to have something to do with the pressure that he's putting on the ball. Yeah. Um, I've heard that the seams are a little bit different when you get the minor yeah. league ball compared to what he used in high school. Sure. I'm not shocked with that at all. I mean, they're different between college and the majors. So I can't imagine that, you know, there's consistency between high school and the majors, but I mean, also he played all that showcase ball, I believe. So I have to imagine he was using some kind of ball, but I mean, yeah, it's, it, that's it. I mean, it, his left middle finger is where he's generating a lot of spin. You pick up a curveball, you pick up any, any breaking ball grip. It's, it's, uh, it's coming from one of those two pitches. It's not coming from his fastball. I'd be surprised if it was coming from his fastball. Could be, I could be wrong. I, I have a feeling it's probably coming from a slider, his curveball, most likely his slider because breaking ball, he's going to feature a little bit more than his curveball. But um, yeah, it's, it's one of those two. And it's, it's just a pressure thing, really. It's pressure off the finger, off the seam. So I, that's my guess. I don't know if I'm right. I don't know if I'm wrong. I talked to him about it a while ago um, in July and he didn't really give me an answer, which I'm not really surprised with, but to each their own. I mean, it's just, it's not something I'm concerned about. I just don't, I don't really think that we should be panicking over a guy who just threw 60 innings, who dominated, who pitched really well, fantastic peripherals, really good command. He's featuring four pitches. He's using two in the minor leagues right now. I like to point that out. He's not really using four. Right. He flashes both of them. <laughs> that curveball to get ahead when the slider could be thrown to both lefties and righties he's bearing the change up every now and then it's not really a feature pitch he doesn't need it at this level level when he jumps up the lake house and he jumps up to san antonio he's going to need that change up and that's where i think you're really going to see a guy like this shine where he's not dominating the west league but if he's posting nine five plus caper nines throughout every lo every level of the minor leagues then that's that's what the kind of pitcher he is there's guys who have depth of repertoire who jump up levels and no, the stats strikeaways don't change because they know they're starting to feature other pitches as they move up. Uh -huh. And then there's guys who have faster curveball and lower levels of the minors. And as they move up, you're like, why is the striker rate dropping? It's like, well, these guys see plus breaking balls all the time, you know? Right, right, right. So it's not, it, it's not, that's the problem. It's like, there's no extra pitch to bring in there. You know, he's going to need to change up a double A. He's not going to need it. Midwest league. Midwest league is historically a pitcher's league. It's generally fastball breaking ball with a lot of these guys. You don't see a lot of good changeups and you don't really need to. So that's that's the mo of this league. It's honing those two pitches, and he's had blister injuries. I'm not really concerned. I'm not really concerned with them at all. Okay, so the the a lot of us see the mirror image of Mackenzie Gore in Luis Patino, who you have ranked at number five, um, and that's because he adopted that leg kick, that high leg kick, that seems like a new adaptation for him. Um, I noticed that in your write ups, you seem to suggest that Mackenzie Gore, there's a like a biomechanical advantage that he gets with his leg kick, that it's a, an active part of his delivery, where mm -hmm. with Patino, you seem to have the opinion that it might be more show than anything. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting, this is kind of, the one thing that I really wanted to do with this list was present things that I didn't think anyone else was presenting and not just have them be like insane. And one of the things that I've stunted on for a little bit is that I think there's a chance Patino goes away from that leg kick. And it's simply because Gore, it's, it's in Gore's delivery. It's in his MO to do what he's doing from the stretch. This translates 
to his stretch delivery. He has it from the lineup, and he has it in the stretch. And Gore has two variations from the stretch. He has a, a slightly abbreviated one that is still relatively, you know, separated, and it's, it's a fantastic delivery. He's an unbelievable athlete. And he also has, like, almost a full windup from the stretch where it's probably not the best for holding runners, but, you know, in counts where he probably knows the guys are running or just a slower base runner, he's, he's okay using it because it's not, it's not, like, extremely slow to the plate, but it is slower than his other delivery. But with Patino, and the weird thing about Patino that I realized, I was trying to connect with Emily Walton to see if she ever asked him whether he or what the reasoning behind adding the light kick was. But, yeah, he added that this year, and I, I, I was watching tape of his evolution, and I was like, I never knew that he, he added it this year. I thought it was always something of his. Yeah. Um, and I, I was just kind of like surprised. And I just don't think that a lot of it is, is extremely necessary. What, what he does, he's not as much of like an early mover off the mound as Gore. So when he goes up and comes down with it, there's kind of like a stop. And then he starts to move forward. Whereas with Gore, there's a lot of a hip lead and a momentum build when he drops back onto his, when he brings his hands up and drops back onto his, his back leg. So in my opinion, I think that it's just less integral to his delivery. If you cut that out of his delivery, I don't think it changes much. Maybe from the deliver, maybe from the full windup, it has a little more MPH or velocity or whatever you want to call it to his pitches because he's getting a little more momentum and movement going forward. I could see that. And, you know, he wasn't – I don't know what his splits were from the stretch, but um, I just don't think it's that integral a part of his delivery. I think it's something that he was using because he was very comfortable with and he was having success. But at higher levels, I would not be surprised if they kick it out of his delivery and bring him back down. He really needs work on his change of his splits were terrible in Fort Wayne. That's the thing that jumps out. Um, but he's a really good pitcher. He's really dynamic. And I think he's, he's ranked appropriately. He's a top 100 guy. He should be on every list in my opinion. Um, I take him over a lot of started right-hand starting pitchers right now. Um, he's good. The kid's good. He's super, super athletic. He was really, really underlooked for a while. And well, he's, and, he's bored. And that's, and that's the thing with Luis Patino. He was he was almost drafted as an afterthought. Given 130, his tryout down in in Columbia was like, yeah. okay, they, all the big guys have already thrown, and they're just gonna watch this kid throw a bullpen. And uh, I think Chris Kemp took off and sent one of his guys to watch it, and looked athletic. You know, he threw 86, 89. Uh, and if you listen to the last podcast we had at the uh, the Fan Fest, they had a social summit, and Sam Gini was there, and he talked about in between when they drafted him and then the next season, he had came to Peoria and worked mm-hmm. out in the offseason in Peoria, gained 30, 35 pounds, and went from 86 to 96 to 97, topping out yeah. at 100. And, you know, he was one of those, you can't believe, I, it's almost like a lottery ticket. You, you, This kind of afterthought draft pick blows up. And one of the things that Sam was talking about is some of these players throughout the whole year, their uh, facility is open to players and they're invited. Hey, if you would rather stay here in, in Arizona instead of going back home to Columbia or Venezuela or, or wherever they come from to get better training, get food, you know, be fed well, get superior training, be able to work out, it's up to you. And he talked about players taking that big jump in the offseason, like more the offseason being an issue than the regular season itself and mm. just getting better and using this time to really improve themselves with nutrition with working out with being able to uh, you know put on bulk um so we have this social summit every once in a while that the padres will invite people um and then they have a, a q a session and oftentimes it's with mm-hmm. prospects and so at the the prior one when they had the what did they call it the don welke the don welke classic yeah um they they brought Mackenzie gore in and he talked to us for a while and they brought luis patino in and we got to talk to him and so what you were saying that you asked Mackenzie a question, you didn't really get an answer. I noticed he's he's already pretty good at that. 
I asked him. I yeah, asked, I yeah, asked him he's just a question. really reserved kid. But, but the thing is, like, you see, you see him pitch. He's so intense. Like, he's he he's there to play baseball. He was put on this earth to play baseball, Mackenzie Gore. It's really what it is. He's not going to be the most colorful club, but he's a really good kid. You can tell deep down. You know, he he's really connected to the ECU coach when he committed to ECU. He's really connected to his family and his sister. Like. The kid, he's a really good kid. He's just quiet. You know, there's yeah. just some guys like that. And then Patino's the absolute opposite of that in terms of personality. Yeah, we so, fell in love with him right away. Both. I mean, you the know? big <laughs> smile and the character, the, the the personality that he's got. And and he was so colorful in his in his answers mm. to us when we were asking him questions. And it's just you just can't help but fall in love with yeah. the guy as you're sitting it's in a great, room with him. Kid. And then you watch him up on the mound and the guy's just electric. Yeah. Anyway, so continuing down the list. Uh, let's see. So Francisco Mejia, you seem to be the low man. I, I kind of tried to compare all the different top rankings mm-hmm. that are coming out. And uh, Mejia seems to consistently be in the three or four spot. Um, mm-hmm. You've got him down a couple spots from there. And I see you have him listed as catcher third base. How do you feel about his ability to become a legitimate major league catcher? Uh I don't see any way that he has a stronger share of starts than Austin Hedges in a given season. And Austin Hedges is under control for a while. So that's my concern with that. It's just the fact that there's, there's no way that they're playing Mejia over Hedges. Um, unless something happens to Hedges, in which case, sure. But there's some confidence in it because, you know, he comes over from the Indians after not catching essentially at the higher minors for the Indians and, and purely catches in AAA for the most part, I believe, and then catches at the major league level. So the Padres in some respects are committed to that, uh, whether they just wanted to get their own looks and own data on him behind the plate or own scouts to look at him behind the plate. Sure. I'm sure they had that before they even acquired him, but yeah, I, I guess I am a little lower on Mejia than most. I think I noticed this as well. I just, I don't know if it's a positional thing. I think he could play third base. The arm is really good, but the arm is often a tool that I think is relatively overrated in the package of a player. It's probably the tool of the six that you just probably don't really need. Honestly, for the most part, you probably need that as average. If you're an outfielder, um, it will dictate whether you're playing right or left in situations, but in the infield, you know, you need a third, you need it behind the plate, but you know, there's guys like Will Smith in the Dodgers system and the minors who are really, really good catchers overall with, I think Will Smith's probably more average to plus arm as opposed to like 80 arm that Mejia has. And it's like, I'll trade 80 arms to 50 arm for Mejia if you give me like another bump on his game power, you know, yeah. like it just the overall value of, of it is something that I think just gets overlooked. Great arm. It's just I just struggle with where exactly the ceiling is. And I think that there's a lot of guys like this that are coming up as catchers and are really enticing as catchers. And then once they move off the position, the standard for the offense goes up a ton because the average catcher last year was like a probably like a 230 ish hitter with like a sub league average OBP. And it's just it's not great. So it's like. When you move Mejia off that, and he's a little better than that, it's like, well, at this point, what is he? Like, is he an average third baseman? He's probably a below average third baseman with offensive output. And I'm just a little down on him, I guess. I just don't – I don't I, – I like him. Like, I think he's a good player. I love the bat speed. You know, he had a, that fantastic – I think he hit that grand slam at the end of the season. That was emphatic and fantastic. He's only 23. There's a lot of time to develop. I think he's an average to above player at the major league level. But I'm not really comfortable putting over him over guys like – Urias, who I think is a little bit higher of a floor. Um, Paddock, who I think is going to be very good at the major league level. Patino, I think, has a ton of upside, maybe a little bit of aggressive of a rank. And then, you know, even guys like Morejon and such, like he's he's pretty close to those guys. Like I have Baez, Morejon, Espinosa, Mejia all in like a similar tier, I believe. So I'm I'm just, I guess I'm more just kind of like a shrug. I want to see where he plays. I want to see him get playing time. And I want to see this back come around to the point where they're confident giving him consistent full playing time. And at the moment, I'm a little concerned with that. Yeah, so that's, go ahead. In, in AAA, his performance took a dip at the beginning of last season. 
Um, yeah, but then he in, turned around, right? In, he did. And in his yeah. two short stints in Major League, he's you've seen the strikeouts go up. Well, not necessarily strikeouts. The contact rate is still there, but the batting average hasn't. Um, are you concerned about that, or do you think he's it's just an adjustment to another level? I, it's probably just an adjustment to another level. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, he's probably like a – he's similar in, in profile to Urias in terms of uh, – in terms of probably strikeouts and walks, and maybe Urias has a little more of a walk game on him. I think maybe he has probably a little more of a free swinger. But, um, but yeah, I mean, he's historically, what has he been? You know, 2018 Padres, he was like 5% walk, 18% K. Like, he puts the bat on the ball a lot. That's how he's going to survive. He's never going to be like a – he's never going to be a pure OBP guy with a low average. He's going to be kind of high average average OBP. So, you know, projections for next year I don't think are, are the greatest on him. I, I, I'll take Urias production-wise over, over Mejia next year personally. I think Steven might have it opposite on fan graphs. But – it's just my inclination in terms of what the actual production is. I like him. I like him a bit. I just, I'm, I want to see playing time with him. He's one of the guys where I, I don't like speculating on playing time, but I just, I don't know. Like, right, I, right. it seems like third base is his right now, but they also seem like the rumor to get a bunch of third basemen from Andujar to Machado to all these other guys. So, and does that signal no confidence to me? The kid's already 23. It's like, give him a shot, you know, if right. you really like me here that much. Right. Otherwise, he turns into like a, a fantastic utility player for me, which is good. There's nothing wrong with that. Like, it could be a two war guy a year, two and a half, but I don't think it's the upside that we once loved with Mejia. And that's probably my one hesitancy. I, I feel like there's a little bit of um, Christian Bethencourt risk. Yeah. But with a better, fair, with fair. A better bat to with ball a better skill. Floor. Yeah, much better. Well, and, and, with, and with Mejia. It's it, he, he can. Does he need to do the work to if he's at least a average to below average catcher? Does that raise his value there? I mean, is there there's lots of work to be sure. done. The receiving skills, you know, throw out the framing, just the receiving skills and catching the ball. I think he had like four pass balls in the, the two three mm-hmm. weeks that he was two weeks that he was up. Yeah, and um, I just you know, and there was so much talk about us getting JT Rumulto, which kind of signaled to yeah. at least to me that. Either one of those guys are going. I thought maybe Mejia might have been in that deal with us keeping Hedges, but it kind of signaled to me that they're not absolutely sold on Mejia as either a, a full-time catcher or even a you know part-time catcher behind uh, Hedges. Mm-hmm. No, I think there's still value in like a guy who's averaged to below defensively a catcher. Like that's fine, especially if he's your backup. If you have Hedges catching 120 games, you know you only need Mejia for 40 behind the plate. And if you're getting average to below defense and a super utility guy that can play third. And play third, probably average. Like that, there's a lot of value in that. There's a lot of value in it. All right. So moving on to your your next tier, you had ten guys graded between fifty and fifty five at six to sixteen. I guess that's eleven guys. Um, Cal Quantrill floats near the bottom of most top ten lists, mm-hmm. but you've got him at sixteen, uh, at the bottom of your future value fifty guys. What are your concerns with him? Yeah, I mean, he's probably the one here that I'm discounting the most for injury reasons, just because I, I mean. I don't know when the last time I was impressed with striker rights of his were, you know, like back in like 2016. And I think that's a huge, huge problem. The major level, if he's coming up and he's throwing seven, seven and a half K per nine, he's only can like 18% of guys. Like I just, I see nothing with that. That's not the picture that I remember Quantrill being. I remember being a fastball changeup guy um, from the, from the right side and that working pretty well and probably him ending up with reverse splits for the most part. Um, and I thought there was a little more upside. You know, I think there's probably average command there, maybe a little bit below right now. But if the, if the strikeout risk isn't – I mean, if the strikeout upside isn't there, excuse me, and it, it's two below average breaking balls from the slider and the curveball and he's just looking fastball change, I'm just not really in on him, you know? Like, I'm fine. I think that there's a chance that he starts games in the major league level. But, you know, there's guys like Ukazi there and 
Lucchese was a kind of a fastball changeup guy, or whatever you want to call the churve pitch that he throws um, for the most. And then that was successful at the major level. I think Quantrill could have a, probably a similar profile to start, but uh, probably even a steeper of a fall off. You know, if he if he bounces back in 2019, and I mean he's throwing a ton, and he's a Triple A, but say they send him back down there, and his pitch target rate bumps back up. Sure, maybe I'll bring him up a little bit on something like this, but I, I guess I'm just a little more like shrugging shoulders on it. It's like mm. I think that you know if he comes up the major league level right now, he's going to get beat around. He's going to get knocked out of the rotation. I know the rotation isn't good, but I guess that's more of a testament to where I see Quantrill long term. So, I'm I'm down on him. He's, I think he's the guy I'm probably the lowest on. I was actually really surprised to see him in some top tens. I just there's so much more upside for all these guys sitting around there than Quantrill, in my opinion. I keep so. getting to want to. I keep getting to try to get you to say mid rotation. I, I remember listening to one of you guys' podcast and. I think you were talking about the Padres pitchers, and you're like, everyone's like, you know, they're, they're probably going to be like a mid-rotation, and it's like, I want to start a drinking game with that. You between JP yeah. and, and JW. There's uh, a ton of them, yeah. Because it's like you, you know, have a lot of guys who are young with risk who have really good upside of like being like twos. So it's like you hedge that by saying that there also is a chance they fall to fives or hit the pen. So it's like, what's the middle? It's like, hey, it's mid-rotation, you know? I guess it's that's why people but, say there's yeah. no such thing as a pitching prospect. Yeah, because there's yeah. so much injury risk and yeah. so much. Um, yeah, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, decimation. Yeah. Um, no. So next, uh, the the next star I have here is Tirso Ornelas. We're big Tirso Ornelas fans, um, mm-hmm. but uh, you seem to love him too. What makes him special in your eyes? Uh, what makes him special is just the, the the control in his bat, the quietness in his hands, his hand speed, his bat speed at such a young age. <laughs> He's a kid's 18 years old. Uh, I think he turns 19 before the season starts, but. It's just, it's a lot of things that I really liked in a small sample, and I was really impressed by. I think that he was a guy who was hitting a pretty good amount of home runs. He was pacing to hit like probably about 15 in the Midwest League, which doesn't seem like a lot, but there's really not a lot of guys who pop a lot of home runs in the Midwest League. It's like Ronaldo Hernandez from the Rays and like a kid who got traded out of the Midwest League, Ryan Costello. And it's, it's not, there's not a lot of pop there. And he was, he was thoroughly impressive in a lot of the at bats I saw him. There's, there's hit, there's power, there's a chance for not a lot of strikeouts, and there's a chance for a high walk rate. And if you mix it all together, it's a, a really good hitter and i i'm probably a little higher than the most and i'm completely fine with that i wanted to stunt for my guy here on this and i will point out again that like the tiering is it makes it so that you know if you see the 10 you know it's like oh he's got him at 10 it's like well in my eyes it really no difference between like 10 and 15 so to speak yeah. like that's my tier so tiering is very important i think i put that at each of the blurb the end of each blurb but what the guy was rated as so when those ratings change is when I, i'm mixing up the tiering so there's a harder cut between a guy like Adrian Morejon and Arnelas, you know, than there is between like Naylor and Quantrill. You know, like Naylor and Quantrill, I both have at 50s, and then Arnelas and Morejon, I have 50 to 55. So I have Morejon on a tier above, even though it's one spot away, compared to like Naylor and Quantrill, who are like two, three spots away. Got so it. it's just that, like, just it's a, it's a really good to understand that I think a lot of people overlook that on lists. And they see a guy like 10 and 11, it's like, there's four spots separating these guys. It's like, yeah, well, if you talk to the guy who made the list, if he's got him in the same tier, there's essentially no spots. It's, right. it's simple rank of preference. So right. that's the thing I'll say about Ornelas. The, the logical thing is to go pots 10, and I get that, but I'm going to stumble for my guy Ornelas and, and, and really hope that he puts together a fantastic 2019 because I think he's got a real shot. I don't think it's a matter of – Ralph said this, and I like this. Ralph Lifshitz, who's a prospect Live guy with me, one of the co-founders, um, he said that it's not a matter of if – or the else is going to break out. It's a matter of when he's when. going to break out. I think that that's the biggest thing. It's just when do you start to see the 17% K rate, 18% K rate with like a 12% walk rate in this kid putting up 15 home runs in 60 to 80 games. That's when you start to go, yeah, this kid is, this kid can hit the major league level. And he has an 80 grade jawline. I mean, that just, the <laughs> jaw is just 
He has he had braces when I saw him. The kids, he's a baby. He's 18 years old. I'm just thoroughly impressed with that size and strength for that age. Well, and Kenny sticking right field. Is he gonna have? Is he's a he's a, he's a thick kid. I mean, he's a stocky yeah, kid. Yeah, he, he could fill out more. I I'll be interested in that as well in terms of you know we saw a guy like Jorge Ona from the from the Padres slow down a lot, move yeah. off center field. I think he's a center fielder from mix maybe I'm mixing up. But regardless, he he fell off really hard because of that. Because he was young, he had some weight problems. He started to slow down a little bit. He, and it's was, like, I really just hope it doesn't happen with him, Nelas. Oh, yeah, we'll was see. in center field. And he had one of the most unusual injuries I heard of all year. He was he was fielding a fly ball. It was going over the fence. It hit the foul pole and ricocheted. It hit him square in the face. And he wound oh up, my God. He wound up missing that. a week or two of game yeah. time for that. That's wild. That was, <laughs> yeah, that was crazy. Jesus. Um, so you, you mentioned – a player going down to Tommy John surgery and then coming back up um, and how people you know, shift their evaluations of him. Um, we've been watching Anderson Espinoza and he really hasn't done anything the last couple of years. Um, I see you still have him fairly high. A lot of people have dropped mm. him quite a bit due to the time. Um, do you, what do you feel about his chances to be consistent and healthy moving forward? I mean, consistent how they're moving forward, I, I think they're f- good just because the kid's 20 years old. Again, this is the consistent theme on this list is the fact that all these kids are so young. Yeah. Um, and with Espinosa, it's like you lose two years of development, but at the same time, most people, I believe, think that he's good enough to start probably like high AA out the gate and not really hang at either of those levels too long. So it's like at what point, you know, two years down the road that we look at this kid being in AAA as a 22-year-old, even though he was two years not throwing. Like, I'm concerned about that, sure. But at the same time, if it's just the Padres being cautious with him, it's okay. Like, it's true with the setbacks, et cetera. But I think I write in the blurb, excuse me, um, that he's the guy I think I want to, like, almost reserve a little bit of fluctuation in my stock of. And I know a lot of people say this probably when they make lists. But if he comes out and he's throwing 96, 97, and he's sitting hot, and he's got the four pitches we all remember him having from the Red Sox days, um, yeah, he's going to move real quick up lists. And there's yeah. going to be a lot of people who were like, why did I not have this kid in the top 100? Because you're going to know really quick if, if Anderson Espinosa is back to what he was or not. And at the same time, in the same vein, you're going to know whether or not he's he's pretty much done in the prospect, prospect pedigree. Maybe he's a little bit faded out the gate. So he's been down long enough where I think the assessment of him comes very quickly. I'll be really interested to see what if anyone gets looks at him on the backfield, how he's looking, where he's sitting velocity-wise, and how the pitches look. But this is, for me, it's an exercise of caution. There's really no information on it. Maybe some people are scared of their own information. I think I'm more kind of in the middle where it's like, cool, if there's no information, and this kid comes out pumping gas and he turns into Chris Paddock 2.0 with maybe a little bit worse results, but he's younger, and he jumps up. And then he jumps up to my list. He jumps up to like five. He sits right around Patino is. He's going to be a Patino but more advanced in terms of yeah. the stuff, pedigree, and everything. So he's, he can jump to five. He can fall to 20. It's, it's really, really a lot of high variation with him. And it's all because of the lack of information. But I guess I'm taking a gamble on him. I get a couple gambles on this list, but I think they're a little bit calculated. So I'm comfortable standing by him for this season and seeing what happens. Well, absolutely. And next year, just the, the, the rotation. You know, we talked about the rotation last year in, in Lake Elsinore. This year is just going to be mm-hmm. – it's going to be – it could be a snapshot of a future rotation for the San Diego Padres, really with Espinosa, yeah, sure. with Gore, with Patino. Um, Nick Margavichus is going to be up there. Oh, he, Nick will probably be in double A, but just it's it's so deep. And a lot of the times we talk about these guys, you know, and with the accelerant of, of Urias and the acceleration of Tatis, that someone like Anis Manesson is 20 years old. If, like you said, at 22, he could be cracking the rotation. T- 
22 years from now. At yeah. 22. And how many times do you have 22-year-olds come up and be impact players? How many times do you have a 22-year-old uh, position player, say maybe in Gable areas, come up and he's kind of in the same trajectory there to be 22, maybe 23, cracking a, you know, cracking a 25-man roster when most of the time it's 24, 25. Um, you know, it takes a little bit longer for these guys to develop. I feel that that's going to be the little bit of separator with, with Hudson Potts. He would have him at number 11. Is I think he's going to spend all next year in Double A. Uh, he'll get into the twenty-one-year-old season in Triple A, and then maybe spend a whole season there, and that'd be two thousand twenty. And he might not even make it up till two thousand twenty-one. Mm, two thousand twenty-two would be a push, but still coming up at twenty-one, twenty-two years old into the major leagues. Yeah, I actually think Pasta can move a little quicker than that. I think that what AFL signals for a lot of guys is minimum is like max two years off. So I, there's there's a really good chance. That Potts, I think, is is breaking camp in like 2020. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I could be wrong on that. I don't think he hangs double A the whole year, even if it's even if it was a really small sample. I think he's more double A, triple A this year. Um, so maybe small stint end of the year. But I, that's just because JP really liked his defense. Thinks he can stick at third. If the Padres can help at third, there's really no reason for them to stall him. So this goes back to the fact that I think a lot of people who like Potts and are in on Potts or or think that they can probably fill the third base hole internally for the most extent with Mejia for a little bit with France maybe. And then they, maybe they flip around to Potts in 2020. So it's a possibility, but I mean, yeah, there's a lot of variation with that. I think that possibly move quicker than that though. He's he's an ATA 2020 guy for me. So you guys weren't concerned about, uh, you know, the batting average, uh, in, in, uh, in the AFL. No, no. JP liked what he saw overall structurally. I didn't mind what I saw structurally with the swing. I thought there was a pretty good amount of loft. He's hitting enough fly balls where I don't think he's ever going to be a high average guy. But okay. if, if he's like a 45-55, 45 hit for 55 power, so he gets a little above average on the power, he's hitting 21, 23 home runs. He can, he can hang fine with like a 230-240 average at the major league level. Don't really. I, it's, I'm not seeing like a like a five war plus player he's probably going to hang in like the two five to three five window i think almost at peak i want to say i don't i don't really see much upside with pots but i think the swing is good he's got a good amount of bat speed he gets stick at third i think he's got a plus arm um there, there's a lot of good things about him that will let him hang at third and let the bat kind of sit around even if it's low average but there could be some pop maybe he's like 100 renfro style i don't know if there's that much pop but it could, it could be around there you know yeah. and he can walk a little bit too so the obp will save him from having like a if he has like a 230 average it's okay because he'll be he'll be he'll be major league average obp i would bet that you know that that description that he's given it kind of sounds like christian villanueva was last year yeah that's that, i think that's a fine comp with i don't know how villanueva's d was but um possibly is probably better it, it got yeah. better as so there you go christian villanueva better d i mean that's that's a what that's a probably a two-war guy yeah okay i can so see you're, that you're talking about a player whose glove carries him and the bat has to catch up a little bit um, but you've got somebody on your list that's the other way around. Asturi Ruiz, uh, there mm. doesn't seem to be much of a question about him being able to, to hit for average. There, the power's there. Um, he's got some speed, but nobody seems to like his defense. What have you mm. seen about his defense that, that gives people that concern? Is it his footwork, his hands, his instincts, his accuracy? What is it? Yeah, it's kind of a combination of, of all that to some extent, which is kind of odd because he's, he's a small, wiry guy. Who runs really well has really good base running instincts has a really good feel to hit and yet there's just kind of like this lack of instincts and in, in depth to anything he does in the in the infield it's just not really dynamic at second base at all he's really turned double plays that smooth he's not really good going to his backhand it's just it's a weird combination of he's really good instincts wise and other aspects and yet can't play like a plus defense which is weird based on like everything you tell like if you if you say the structure of a guy like Ruiz where it's like really really good at reading pitchers and stealing bases 
good hitter, really good instincts, decent approach. He might swing and miss a little bit, but that's probably a maturity thing. You can come around on it. And then you go, what would you guess a player like that's defense with a really high baseball IQ is? He probably gets its average and his is below. So it's just a weird, like, is it a matter of him getting reps in it? Is it improvable? Sure, I think it is. Because I think this kid's a good player and he's got really good instincts. There's, so, I've heard some concern that there's, there's scouts who don't believe that he um, hits upper-level pitching as well as he hit Midwest League pitching, which okay. I understand. But I, I, from what I've seen, I think the, the, the resounding factor with him is that he's going to continually hit the ball in the air. His swing, his attack angle is, is something very specific that I, I like a lot about him. It's a, it's a very inherently modern swing for a player that really hasn't played in the States much, which I like a lot because I think that there's probably not much adjustment that has to go on. It's just more polish. And that's probably where I'm invested in more than anything. I see a little more um, power with him, I think, than most, especially too. Um, I think the average could drop down a little bit. Maybe he's not like a 270 hitter. Maybe it's more like 250, 260. But he could be like a 22 to 24 home run guy consistently, I think. Um, I really like his swing a lot. And this was something that I came around. I think initially to start the season, I wasn't too high on him. But the more I saw him, he's just so advanced from the Midwest League in terms of approach and bat the ball that I just kind of started to fall in love with him. All right. So now to, to shift it in the other direction, um, I hear evaluators point out that a player has a poor approach or doesn't seem to have an approach at all. Uh, that's a knock against Gabriel Arias right now. And that's yeah. always been the case with Javier Guerra. Um, to me, as, as an observer, as a fan, approach seems to be one of the more coachable aspects of a player's development. Why do players seem to struggle to find a quality approach and stick to it? It's hard. <laughs> Hitting major league pitching is really hard. I think that's like the thing we always come back to on a lot of this stuff. But like, Arias is young, and it's not really surprising if that if he's got that much noise in a swing and that much approach problems that. He's probably just not seen upper-level pitching a lot. Like, you, you hear a lot about guys who, who play internationally where it's just there isn't a lot of organized baseball internationally. There's not a lot of organized, I'm playing 130 games a year and I'm seeing a pitcher. I'm seeing good pitching consistently. It's more showcase ball. It's inconsistent. There's a lot of tools up, tooled up guys who ride those tools for a while. And then when you actually get the consistent pitching, you realize they don't really have an approach. Or they're able to sit fastball, spit on breaking ball. Etc. And then you start to get up to levels like this, where you're seeing different shape breaking balls, you're seeing curveballs and sliders, you're seeing guys who are able to pitch a little bit better, locate glove side and arm side, locate both sides of the plate, and they're starting to bury him away, and he just can't touch any of it. It's really a reps thing for me, and I know he went out to the um, uh, Australian League, ABL, I think, for a little bit, Arias did, and hit really well out there, and again, that's just a different brand of baseball, really, it's what it comes down to, but... That scout's all right. He, he really doesn't have any approach, and it, it is a little bit concerning. There was a nice little uptick in power at the end of the year. Um, I saw him hit an opposite field home run, which is still probably one of the more baffling moments of this season for me, which I just never thought I'd see him do that. But that's a good sign. I mean, there's the fact that he's got some hands. He's got really good hand strength the other way. There's a really heavy bat wrap. I think there's a lot of motion in his swing that's unnecessary. It's one of the noisier swings in the system. But this kid is one of the best defensive shortstop I think I, I've ever seen, probably in my life. Um, it's really good. I, I can't say I've seen a ton of. I saw Colt Tucker in Double A too. He was amazing at short for Altoona for the Pirates. But um, Arias is just it's 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 beautiful. He's really smooth yeah. through his backhand. His off foot throws are fantastic. His back foot throws are really good. He's really good going in on balls to his right. He almost mitigates to some extent having like a poor defensive third baseman. I think because he's so rangy to his his right at shortstop. It's just a lot of really dynamic plays, dynamic motions in his body, and he's able to he's able to contort his body and just just gobble up everything. And I, I was just so thoroughly impressed with him arm wise and fielding wise. I think he could easily be a plus in the major league level with a plus arm. And that's going to find him a lot of time. Um, I like the comp I tossed out there of Orlando Arcia from the Brewers yeah. who a 2017 version of that, where it's kind of like some noisy power 
with a lot of strikeouts, not really too much of a walk rate or anything, but but good defense, very good defense, defense enough that finds him 120 games a year at the major league level or so. He had a pretty big, big regression, Arcia did in 2018, but that's kind of what I see and I hope Arias can get to at, at a young age, get to like 22 years old and be Orlando Arcia at the major league level and hopefully adjust from there offensively. If he never does, it's fine. I still think he has a major league role because of the defense. Um, so that's where I come around on him. But there, there really is no approach. And yeah, I, it's working with hitting coaches. It's a lot of things, you know. I, I liked what he did at the end of last year, but I think he could really get beat up a little bit if he jumps up to Lake Elsinore. Um, so this offseason is going to be big. There's a lot of, lot of adjustments and a lot of temperature gauges on a lot of these guys that's going to occur early in, early in 2019. That's going to be really, really important, I think, to kind of baseline where these guys are. A lot of it comes down to swing and miss for these guys, and RS is one of them. Yeah. You know, it seems that people have forgotten about Eggy Rosario. <laughs> we love Eggy Rosario. Yeah, Eggy Rosario. But, I, mean, I have him right in there, 25, I think I have him, yeah. Yeah. He's still young, playing in the Cal League. Uh, 18 years old last year. Got a taste of the... I don't maybe injury supplement up in double A. No, I mean he, he, he hasn't had any injury history yet. No, he uh, what, what's went your, up to double A. What's then. your take on Eggy? Yeah, he's he's interesting. I think he's like a. I think I had him at, down. I'm looking at my list right now. He's, I had him as a 55 hit, 45 power guy. He's a little bit weirder of a frame. I think if I'm remembering correctly, I I did get mixed up on the prospect podcast between Jacob Nix and Logan Allen. So I apologize. I'm really trying to make sure I'm talking about the correct guy when I'm actually talking about him. But he's got really good hand, hand speed and everything from the box. The, the thing with him, I think I have him down as like this, having the simplest swing. Um, it's, it's probably more of a pitch recognition problem than contact. He's really good with just not really doing anything with his front foot and just. Uh, okay. So just for a second, we lost him here for a second. He is in Chicago and he is frozen on the screen right now. There you go. You're back. Oh, sorry. We lost you there. there. Where'd, where'd I cut out? Are you talking about Lance Nix or Jacob Nix now? Or, or? No, no, we were, we were still on, <laughs> we were still on Edgar Rosario. So yeah, yeah, I was saying. Oh, you were I got saying it. that I was saying, there's a lot of upper body, a lot of arms. You feel like he doesn't get much out of his front foot. Yeah, no. There's, there's I, if I'm remembering correctly, I'm pretty sure this is him. Where there's really not much, um, there's not much anything. Like he's able to just throw his hands at the ball. It's almost like uh, I saw this kid, Alaris Montero, from the Cardinals a lot in Peoria who's a much bigger version of Eggy with a much better hit tool, but it's a similar approach where it's just kind of like a hand load and it's really quick in his hands. And Eggy, I believe, has a high ground ball rate is the thing I meant to say. And that, I think, could be adjusted out a little bit if he gets up off that front foot a little bit. So from remembering the right player here, I hope I am. I would watch video very quickly to confirm if I was seeing what I was seeing. But I think I'm right on Eggy Rosario there. High ground ball rate could probably be adjusted out of it. I think it's more kind of it's probably utility role at the end of the day, but okay. um, it's interesting. And I think he's got really good hand speed. Okay. So I'd like to wrap it up with getting a few thoughts from guys that I know you've, you've gotten a good look on in, uh, in mm -hmm. the Midwest league uh, that are my personal favorites that didn't make your list. Um, Dan Dallas. Have you had a look at Dan Dallas? No, I haven't had a look at Dan Dallas. I don't think I know much about him. I think I did look at him outside my, in my 65 guys here. I think I had him at the back half with okay. a lot of other pitchers. Um, but I didn't get yeah. a look at Dan Dallas. Yeah, he worked a lot as a reliever. He was in Tri-Cities to start the season, came up to the Midwest League, and did remarkably hmm. well. He was Stop injured last yeah. year. Um, okay, Robbie Podorsky. Yeah, I saw some Podorsky. He's uh, Contreras called him like the bouncy ball that you throw off a wall and doesn't doesn't stop going anywhere. He's kind of like that. Um, yeah, he's like a 70-runner easy um, with not really much else, but uh, I think he plays a decent second base and a little bit of outfield. I think they had him roaming around, if I remember correctly. Yeah, he and he was he was like a fan favorite there. Um, they really like him, but 
I don't really know if I see a major league role. If it is, it's like super utility. He's a little bit old for the level two, and there's really no approach. But um, but he's running a lot, man. He was running a lot, and he was really successful in doing so. That Fort Wayne team just ran a lot. Gets back to a point with I had with Estuary Ruiz too, where I just he's not he's not like a forty or thirty stolen base at the major league level. I think I see him more like a twenty. 25 which may be really down compared to what everyone else is saying but that guy's not seeing like 50 bases in the major league level so well i'll see how much tail off comes in comes in like elsinore unfortunately but that's more that's more hidden power than anything stops home bases well i i got a soft spot in my heart for undersized speedy outfielders mm. so that, that's why i love robbie yeah, you like you like robbie though. he's fun he's a good guy too he's really nice so uh, how about Tra- travis radke do you have a thought on him no, I don't think I saw Racky either. Okay. Um, he was he was much older for the for the level, but he had a good season in in uh, in Fort Wayne, and I think he even uh, yeah, saw time I wasn't up out there early. Got, yeah, he did. He must have got called up pretty early. Yeah, he bounced um, around he, a little. He went bit. through four levels last year. Wow, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, time yeah, guys, they went through just about four levels. Uh, Owen Miller didn't make that list either, and he uh, you know he made his no, way out yeah. of rookie league all the way up to Double A. Uh, we saw his one hit. I saw his first hit in the Cal League, and then like he was there maybe a week, and then he shot up the Double A for the playoffs and seemed to stick it at short. I know there's been a lot of comp with him, or a lot of talk of him being maybe a more utility role, but he hit really well. He did, yeah. The the biggest thing with him is that it seems like the Padres just really really like him, um, and he's just flown through levels. He's jumped up a ton, and it's just everywhere he's going, he's kind of kind of hitting. And this is one of the ones where I I personally just don't think. He's great. I think that there's maybe some kind of weird utility role here. He's not a shortstop. Um, he's probably an average third baseman defensively. Um, so I mean, like the dreams of him playing like a left side platoon, I just don't really see based on what they have depth wise. At the end of the day, he probably ends up at third and can play a little bit third. But it's it's a weird approach. He, he's kind of like a little ground ball heavy. I don't really love the swing, but his results are just really hard to refute. And especially because yeah. he's done it at higher levels. Yeah. He's a guy who like scouts probably are kind of like man and then every single level he gets to he's hitting and you're just like you start to kind of introspect and just go what am i missing here you right, know what i mean right. but it's a time where i think a lot of people kind of just stick to their guns with him and that's kind of where i end up with owen miller I'm, i like him he's hit really well the padres seem to love him for how much they kicked him up but i just don't know if i see much of a starter everyday role at the major league level so you know and more probably the biggest name on this list that didn't make it was austin allen yeah, yeah. This was one that I actually went back to JP on. JP said that he doesn't really think he can stick a catcher. Um, it's probably more of a first base profile. If he moves the first base, there's maybe good power here, and maybe the baseline of the, everything he puts together is fine for first base. But based on what the Padres have at first base and the stock of guys that they could eventually move there overall, yeah. a guy like Austin Allen, there's just really not a lot of value for Austin Allen. He's a guy who just should be traded. But at the same time, if any other team. And really no value in him at all because the first baseman is just one of those things. Anyone jumps around, you know, anyone can fall back to first base. I just yeah. don't see much with else now. JP didn't really like him either. Well, hey, let's uh, let's get you out of here. Let's uh, let's have you, you know, what's going on with Prospects Live? What do you guys got going on? Anyone sure. from the, the amateur stuff all the way to the uh, you know the major league prospect rankings? Yeah, it's it's been fun. It's been a lot of fun with with the guys. We're just really itching for baseball. We're, we're trying to build a lot of the off looks and off live looks and. That limits a lot of us who are in the Northeast or the Midwest during the winter months. So we have JP right now down at Instructs in Arizona getting looks at a lot of Giants guys. He did our Giants list. Um, Joey Bart, Marco Luciano, and some other guys that are higher up on the on the Giants list. He's getting first looks at them. I don't think there's really much video of Marco Luciano anywhere. So I think we actually have some of the first of it yeah. um, in the state specifically, which is awesome. Um, I, I so that's it. fun. 
I thought, sorry, I thought that was just archive stuff he was just emptying his phone out with. That stuff just from, from this week. Yeah, it's like this is from days ago. Yeah, this is from days ago. So JP's killing it. He's he's an unbelievable kid. I really like the kid. I know you had him on here. He's just so much fun to have on staff because he sees so much baseball. He's just a really smart kid. Um, Ralph's doing lists. I'm doing lists. We're pretty much done. I think we have our top 100 coming out this week, actually. So definitely check out prospectslive.com. That's going to be kicking around everyone's Twitter. You know, I had, um, we're doing I had like a an question about that. How many Padres sure. do you think are going to make that list? I see you've got nine players graded at 55 or more. Seven more guys are 50s. Yeah, so my cutoff. So what we each did was uh, the five of us submitted individual lists, and we're going to aggregate them together and come up with a rank and not adjust it from there. So it's going to be like, this is what we think, and it's a combination of everyone's thoughts. And it maybe everyone doesn't agree on everything, but at the end of the day, it's a combination of everyone's thoughts. So my list specifically, and I've got looks at some of the others, I think most people are landing between 8 and 10. Um, I have it at 9 specifically. I think my cutoff is I think my cutoff is Morejon, or whoever's my 9 on this list. Let me make sure I have that correctly. Um, is it Morejon? No, it's definitely not Morejon. I think it's Espinosa's at 9 for me, right? You've got Morejon at seven, yeah. Baez at eight, Espinosa at nine. Yeah, so I think my cutoff was was Espinosa. I was waffling between Espinosa on and off the top 100 just because this goes back to my tiering thing I was talking about earlier in the episode. The difference between 90 and 140 is, is nothing. Right. So it's like right. when you're creating an arbitrary mark of 100, you're like, do I just put a guy in here because I want him on here and I want to put a, I want to get his name out here? You know, it's it's just really tough in that respect. So. I think I, I think I'm gonna end up with eight Padres. I know some people who are gonna have nine. There's probably people who have Pass a little higher than me and put them on the back half of their top 100. But um, yeah, yeah, there's really probably no cases outside of like Pass at 11 overall for it. So it's between eight and 10. Hopefully, split the difference and get nine in there, and uh, it'll probably be the most of any organization. Awesome, fantastic. Well, hey Lance, we really appreciate you coming on the pod. You're our first repeat guest. Uh, you, and you did not disappoint as we expected, and you performed well. <laughs> 80 grade talk 80 grade list to really an 80 grade system and that's not just Padre fans talking I know that's mm-hmm. industry wide of, of you know there was talk on the podcast Absolutely. you guys uh, between the pitching that the Braves have in their system and the Padres and then they're very comparable and very close and um, we just really appreciate you taking the time we, it's pretty late there in Chicagoland um, we will uh, we'll catch you maybe, maybe when the season starts we'll have you come back on and uh, we'll be talking more about this list oh you aren't planning on coming down to spring training are you yeah my plan is right now to come to Arizona but I have a lot of job apps out and stuff so there's a chance I get maybe laying somewhere else and not be there but um, my plan right now is to go down there and, and check out some Padres ball check out some Brewers ball and White Sox so at max I'm probably spending two days on Padres but um, I'll be I'll be there are you applying for like writing jobs or are you applying for just like, yeah, a lot of reporting. Writing? No, no, all of them are reporting. So I'm in grad school and I ended June. So I'm i uh, I'm kind of have like a bunch of apps that going on right now. I'm some that I'm still working on to try to land something reporting wise. So, um, I could be anywhere. I'm, I'm really not geographically tied, which is I think one of the advantages of being a journalist in this landscape where it's a little bit harder to find a job. So I'll go wherever the, Wherever I can write about baseball and someone wants right. my opinion, I'm, I'm well. And also, so. pretty damn single too. I, I think it's only Jason Wardell that has a that has a family that's kind of anchored. I mean, JP, you, JP. I don't know about Ralph, but I don't think Ralph has. Ralph's anchored too. Yep, he's anchored out in, uh, out in Boston, but he's got he's got the uh, he's got the uh, Paw Sox moving out to him. He's in Worcester, and they're moving uh, like ten minutes away from his house. So he's gonna be. I don't think he wants to move. I wouldn't want to move out with him. You got a Triple A team hanging out there for. 
in the foreseeable future, he's going to see a ton of guys go through there. So uh, that's going to be a lot of fun. So we're going to make it out to spring training uh, the second week of March. Uh, we're going to hook up with Emily. Uh, we're going to hopefully hook up with JP She's if he's still out there. We hope to have yeah. him on, and, and we've actually talked to the Padres and reached out to them, and they're going to allow us access to um, You know, we put out some heavy hitter lists, like we want to talk to Paddock, we want to talk to Tatis. They're like, those guys are going to have pretty heavy, uh, you know, pretty heavy production sure. uh, schedules, but – you know, we're going to talk to... Uh, we're hoping to talk like Xavier Edwards. Xavier and, Edwards. I don't know. There's a bunch of guys we're Owen Miller. To get a hold of. Sure. But if you're sure. coming down to Phoenix, um, and we're going to reach out when we're getting a little closer. Hopefully, we can meet up and maybe we can have a beer or something. Please do. Let's do it. Or Donovan can have a soda. I'll have a soda and I'll buy the beer. <laughs> that sounds good to me, man. <laughs> Love All right, it. All right, but well, let's, uh, let's get back to bed. Or uh, going off to bed and we'll talk to you later, bud. Take care. All Thank right, you. So there we are, our first repeat guest, yeah. dude. So much, so grateful for Lance to come back with us yeah. um, and go over his extensive list. We only touched on you know, some of the things that I found, you know, the questions that I had reading through his article. Uh, but he's accessible on Twitter, so please, if you read his article, reach out to him. If you have any questions or criticisms or whatever, as you can hear, he's an insightful guy. He pays a lot of attention. He really dives into the specifics about somebody's mechanics or what the what his approach is or the coaching that they've been working on. Yeah, and if it's a, if it's not guys that he's seen had eyes on, you know, he's seen video. He's talking to scouts. He's talking to other guys at prospects live. These aren't guys that are just putting together lists that they're reading other scouts. They're you know they're getting you know butts in the seats, eyes on guys and video and and you know the knowledge there. I mean you could just you could hear it in the interview. This guy just can talk all day about baseball. And I don't, I don't know if we're gonna have on it, but you know he he's gonna be a writer. He's a he is a writer. He's an excellent writer, but he's gonna get snatched up by a newspaper or maybe by MLB.com. Uh, maybe, I saw that MLB.com is looking for beat writers right now. You know, I wouldn't be surprised. And, uh, you know, then that'd be fantastic because then we'd have, you know, then we'd have a friend of the podcast that's, a, you know, another MLB writer, much yeah. like AJ Casabell. That'd be amazing. Yeah. And uh, so we appreciate you guys coming on. We uh, we had Lance come on. We were we were scheduled to have uh, Ty France come on, but he had some commitments. And Lance and the guys at Prospects Live did put out that top 30, <laughs> that top 30 uh, list uh, with an accompanying podcast, and he was grateful enough to come on in a pinch, and did a freaking fantastic job. He's just, you know, he's gonna post this up on his site on lancebras.com. Um, if you Google Lance Brozdowski, you'll get his website, his personal website, and obviously uh, he'll probably have the link up. But they're on uh, Prospects Live as well. They're just, um, just a phenomenal job. Well, I think that wraps it up for this episode. That does wrap it up. Yeah, we covered a lot here. We uh, we have uh, we have two more. Uh, I actually had the, we have, we have Ty on the line, or at least on the hook. And then I wrote I reached out to Tom Cosgrove, another pitcher who came up through. Uh, I think he pitched in Fort Wayne last year. Uh, had several starts in Fort Wayne, and he agreed to come on the podcast. So we're gonna see where we are next week with Ty, uh, and maybe talk to Tom. But we're going to keep rolling, dude. We're just going to keep doing it. Man. Absolutely. Well, we've got the finals of the Dominican Winter League. Yeah, we're going to have lots to talk Australia about. Australia still playing. And now the guys are starting to roll into to Arizona. So spring training's right around the corner. Yeah, it is. Just got to get through February and see if the major league team can uh, give us a third baseman. Oh, and man, maybe another geez. starting pitcher. But, you know, the great thing about us is we don't have to talk about that. We can talk about the minor league guys. That's right. We don't get hung up on budgets and – 
and, and paying down debt and none of that stuff. Union <laughs> Tribune articles and all of that fun stuff. <laughs> we'll leave that all up to you guys. So you can reach me on Twitter at SD Donovan. And uh, I am at Zippy underscore TMS. Thanks for listening and go Padres. Go Padres. Hey, this is Gabe Moser, and you're listening to Friars on the Farm part. (laughs) That is a tongue twister. That is a tongue twister. (laughs) This is the whole point of it for for us to do this. Friars on on the Farm farm podcast. Podcast. Okay, I'm going to really emphasize it. Go ahead. Uh, This is Gabe Moser, and you're listening to Friars on the Farm podcast.